He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. may be seated. There could be only one explanation, or so Mary thinks. Mary Magdalene gets up early in the morning while it is still dark. Why would she do that? I don't know about you, but for me, if it's still dark out and I'm getting up early in the morning, it better be for coffee, right? Or to hang out with beautiful people like you. But for Mary Magdalene, getting up early in the morning while it is still dark, what is she going to do? She's going to care for the body of her dead Lord. She's going to care for a corpse. Not on my list of top things to do while it's still dark. What could possibly possess her to do that? Well, possess is the right word there. Because you see, Mary Magdalene had been possessed once upon a time by not one, not two, but by seven, seven demons. I don't know how that's possible. Not sure what that looks like. But this is where Mary Magdalene had been. And this is what Jesus had delivered her from. He had restored to her her life. Restored to her her, her very name. When she had lost her identity, her sense of self, he drove out those demons, brought her back to life so that now... Now the very least that she could do in gratitude is to ensure that he gets a proper burial, to go and, and to care for his dead body. But when she goes to the tomb, she's startled by what she sees. The stone has been rolled away. And when she peeks in, the tomb is empty and Mary is heartbroken. She's heartbroken. And why is that? It's because straight away she knows there must be only one explanation in that time and place. The most natural thought is that there would have been a thief. There would have been a thief. A grave robber. Somebody has come and taken the body of Jesus away. And you think, well, that's really weird. I don't usually see people out at the cemetery digging folks up. That's not the sort of thing that happens nowadays. But in the ancient world, this was very common for a couple of reasons. One, folks were buried in tombs. Two, they'd be buried in tombs with valuables. And so people would often uh, go, and grave robbers would go in there in order to ransack those tombs, to plunder those spoils that they could find in the tomb. Or there might be another reason. And this is probably what Mary's thinking. It could be a kind of hate crime to go and vandalize the tomb of someone who has died. To go in there and, and to let them know, to, as a sign of intimidation, that you didn't care for this person at all. Of course, Jesus had countless foes, opponents, enemies, people who would be motivated as one last insult to that injury to come and to take his body away. So when Mary sees that empty tomb, she thinks there can be only one explanation. There's been a grave robber. And so she runs back to the disciples to report it to them. Now freeze frame that moment for just a second. 
Because in retrospect, for us now, from our privileged position, when we look back on it, if the moment weren't so serious and somber, we might almost think that it's kind of silly. Because, well, we know how the story actually unfolds. But for Mary in that moment, the question becomes, what will awaken her? She's like dead set in this belief, no, somebody has come and taken his body away. It's kind of like, if you forgive the analogy, it's kind of like Olaf the snowman in Frozen. When he is so sure that he wants to see summertime, right? Summer and all things hot. It's like, dude, I don't think you realize what that's going to I'm going to tell him. No, let him figure it out for himself. We're in a similar kind of moment here with Mary Magdalene. She is stuck and frozen in this state. And what will awaken her from it? She comes back with the disciples. They peek in. They see the, the empty tomb. And she looks in and she sees the grave cloths are lying there. But they're not just like scattered all about. They're folded up really nice and put back in place. Now, I was with my kids at the mall yesterday. And you ever have this happen? You go to the store and you look at a shirt, right? And you look at it. And then you try to fold it back up how it was. No one has ever done this successfully. It's impossible. And yet when Mary looks into the tomb, she sees the grave cloths that have been wrapped around the dead corpse of Jesus, now placed back and put right there. Needless to say, that's not something that a grave robber would usually do. Hold on, Hank! Let me get this nice, just how they had it. Not going to happen. Does that persuade her? Does that awaken her? It does not. But then, as Mary looks into the tomb, she sees a pair of angels. A pair of angels right there. Now, you guys may know the reaction throughout the scriptures that people have when they see angels. It's usually something like this. Ah! More or less. Is that Mary's reaction? It is not. It's extremely pedestrian. It's like she's just seen a couple of strangers on the street. They say, why are you weeping? And they're probably just about to announce to her, he is, and she's like, where is he? <laughs> Where is it? She doubles down on her grave robber theory. She's like, where is the body? They've taken him away. I don't know where they've laid him. The angels are like, okay, well, here we go. But then the coup de grace. As Mary turns around and she sees none other than the risen Jesus himself. And for whatever reason, because she's been weeping so much, her eyes are filled with tears, or she's just so overcome with grief, whatever the reason might be, she doesn't even recognize that it's Jesus. In fact, she thinks it's the gardener. And she might be more accurate than she realizes. Remember, this is the one who at the beginning of time had planted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The one who said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Maybe there's more truth to what she thinks than she even realizes. But be that as it may, she doesn't realize that there is the risen Jesus standing right in front of her. And so once again, she says to this perceived gardener, sir, if you've taken the body away, all right, let's do a little negotiation here. What do we got to do? Tell me where it is and nobody gets hurt, right? I'll take the body back myself. Do not mess with Mary in this moment. It's interesting. It strikes me how stubborn sometimes we humans can be. How set in our ways, how certain sometimes even of our unbelief. In any case, the question is, what will awaken Mary? If not the, the, the cloths laid there, if not the angels, if not even an appearance of Jesus himself, 
What will awaken her and bring her back to life? Doctors have asked this question for people who are in a similar physical state, an analogous physical state to what Mary's in there, that kind of suspended animation. For folks who suffer from epilepsy, maybe you're familiar with epilepsy, or you've dealt with folks who've had it, maybe you yourself have dealt with it, but epilepsy is a disease where you have seizures. 3,000 people a year, just in our country, die from epilepsy. For many of them, it's from asphyxiation, and you know, they, they choke, and really, in those situations, really, they just need to be turned over on their side, and they can be helped. But sometimes, sometimes, folks go into a seizure, and they go into such a deep state of suspended animation that their brain stops sending signals to the rest of their body, and they're just, like, totally frozen. At that time, it's an extremely dangerous moment. If they're not brought back quickly, they're going to die. So doctors have researched this and studied this over the years. What do we need to do to break somebody out of that state? What kind of surgery do we have to have quickly in order to bring them back to life before they're lost for good? More recently, doctors have discovered that there is one solution, one solution that consistently brings people back to life, shakes them out of that sleepwalking state of suspended animation. That one solution is beautifully simple, doesn't even require any kind of intervention. The solution is this. You need someone who knows you, who loves you, softly and tenderly to speak your name. There is power in your name spoken by a loved one. We know this just as a, a fact of everyday life. Mary, in that moment, is in that state of suspended animation. Her hope has been lost, and she thinks, what future could there possibly be? She can't see. She can't imagine anything else. She's sleepwalking. But then the great good shepherd comes. The one who had said, I am the good shepherd. I call my own sheep by name, and I bring them into life. The one who had given Mary back her name softly and tenderly, he speaks to her simply saying, Mary, Mary. And in that moment, she awakens, and she realizes there can be only one explanation. There is a grave robber, and his name is Jesus. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. He is the Lord who was crucified between two thieves and, in fact, is a kind of thief himself because he has come in order to harrow hell, to plunder the grave, to strip it of its power once and for all, and to reclaim those lost for God. That's who he is. He is the grave robber par excellence who has come to conquer death once and for all. Let us consider and name the ways in which our grave robber Christ has robbed the grave once and for all. First of all, he has robbed the grave of its name. Now, I've spoken of a graveyard, but... More commonly, that's not the name that we use. In the ancient world, it was actually called a necropolis. 
literally a dead city. How's that for you? A dead city. People sometimes call it a graveyard, but more commonly, what do we call it nowadays? A cemetery, right? You may know what a cemetery literally means. The word literally means a sleeping place. A sleeping place. And why is it a sleeping place? It's because we have a Lord who has risen from the grave so that now death is nothing more than a sleep. You heard it even from St. Paul in our epistle reading this morning. He talked about all the brothers who had seen Jesus alive. He said, some of those are still alive. Others of them have fallen asleep. And it doesn't just mean that they're conked out on the mattress, right? He's talking about those are who, folks who the world usually says that they have died, but we know that they're just sleeping. We call it a cemetery because Jesus has robbed the graveyard, the necropolis of its name. My daughter Ellie will sometimes even give us another name for it. She used to call it a garden. We'd go past our church cemetery pilgrim home and say, oh, there's the garden, and I'd correct her for a little while. I don't anymore because our great gardener Jesus is there awaiting that last day. He has robbed the grave of its name, and because he has robbed it of its name, he has robbed it of its sting. He has taken the sting out of death. We would normally view death as like this fearsome viper with these great big fangs. But now, because you have been joined to Jesus, because you belong to him who has overcome death in the grave, because through holy baptism, as Matthew was this morning, he's died already now. And he's been joined to the risen Lord. Now, when we look at the grave, it no longer has the sting of a fearsome viper with two great big fangs, but now, now, it's like a grandma who's forgotten her dentures. And it might try to gum you and me to the end, but it ain't gonna work. Because our grave robber, Jesus, has robbed the grave of its sting as well. And you know what? He will yet rob it of its occupants. Our great good shepherd will come one day, and it could be today. And he will come to those sleeping places, one and all. And he will stand over your grave and mine if we should have already passed. And our good shepherd will call each and every one of us by name and awaken us out of that sleep once and for all. Which, just as a practical matter, <clears throat> makes me think that maybe at church here we've been doing some false advertising. Because we do have our Pilgrim Home Cemetery, and we, we say, you know, you can purchase some plots for the cemetery. It's not quite right, is it? You can rent them. Because you're going to give them back. Because he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. And I've got one last thought for you. Because Jesus is risen. All you who believe in him, who trust in him, who is that great grave robber who has overcome death, now you and I are able to live lives that are free and without fear, that are kind and generous and bold and compassionate because we don't need to cling to this life as it currently is. We don't need to claw and grasp and think, this is all I've got. But now instead, because you belong to Christ, because he has that victory, you are able to live lives that are free and joyous and bold, pouring yourself out for the sake of others, sacrificing yourself, laying it all on the line for others, because Jesus has given to you his life, his indestructible, incorruptible life. Now, as Christians, we live lives that are 
inexplicable apart from the fact that our great grave robber got up out of that grave on the third day. Recently, I made a new friend, a guy who lives this way. His name's Ed, lives over in Midland. And some of you who are here this morning know him as well. Ed is a, a pastor and he leads a church that are seeking to pour themselves out for the sake of their neighbors, to live this kind of, of faith, a sacrificial faith for those in need especially. And they have all sorts of ministries to, to do this, but one of them is a grocery store. And it's a fully functioning grocery store, but the church helps to subsidize it and generous donors subsidize it so that everything that's offered there is only five cents above what the church pays for. Right? So folks who are, are struggling, having a tough time, like all of us nowadays, are able to get more affordable groceries. It's great. So Ed tells me this story that recently he was there, he was hanging out at the grocery store and just greeting folks, he gets to know them, and this one gal comes through the doors, whom he had met a couple of times before, hadn't seen her for a while. But he calls out to her. He says, hey, Ashley, so good to see you. How, how are you doing? What's going on? And immediately she just starts weeping and bawling her eyes out, which for guys is always a very precarious moment, right? <laughs> We're always like, oh, no, what did I do? What did I say? Like, there, there. We don't know how to help you, ladies. We try, but we just... So poor Ed is standing there, and Ash is just weeping, and he's like, oh, no, what did I do? What did I say? I, I, I'm so sorry. It wasn't something I said. He's thinking that, you know, she's probably having a really hard go of it, and I asked her how she's doing. It seems simple. It was a bad question, wrong question. She says, no, no, Ed, no. She says, you don't understand. For six months or more, I haven't heard a single person Say my name. And when you said it, it was the most beautiful word I'd ever heard. And then she says to him, can I ask you a question? Yeah, of course. She says, I, I see Christians like you who are just giving of yourselves, who are sacrificing for others, who are, who are helping people uh, in need and, and doing all this kind of stuff, and it just it, it doesn't make sense to me. Can you just help me understand why do you do it? And Ed gets a big smile across his face because he knows, like you know, there can be only one explanation. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. We stand to confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed.